So as we begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. It ends kind of weird a little bit. And part of it's because verse 5 starts... Uh, two words into in our English version here, a, a new sentence. And that's because there's some dispute on where the phrase in love, what it modifies. Does it modify the holy and blameless experience that we have before Him in love? Or does it modify what comes after it? In love, He predestined us. Um, both things are true, but w- what did He mean right here at this point? I think, I think that the way, um, not where the period is put, but where the verse is put is the right way to read it. I think that that love, because through the rest of this passage, the modifiers like love come after the verbs that they modify. And so I think it's consistent with that. And so I think that that belongs in the verse that we're, that we're reading and within that sentence as well. I remember reading a long time ago about a lady named uh, Hetty Green. Hetty Green lived in the 1800s. I think it was 1834 up through 1916 maybe. And she's known as the Witch of Wall Street. Not necessarily a very nice term. I don't know exactly what that was modifying. Her ability to sense the way things moved on Wall Street could be it. So it might have been a little bit more encouraging than the way you first think of it. But uh, Or it might have been her attitude. I think both things could be true. Hetty Green was the, known as the richest woman in America at that time. She had a huge fortune. In fact, when she died, she had over $100 million that was left behind with her estate. But not only was she known as being the richest woman in, uh, in America at the time, she was also known as probably being the biggest miser. Uh, she did not spend one nickel that didn't have to be spent. She would use cold water instead of hot water because she didn't want to pay to heat her water. They said that uh, when eating her oatmeal or whatever, she would eat it cold because she didn't want to pay for the heat that would warm it up. She would wear one dress until it was about falling off of her because uh, she wouldn't pay to clean it or to take care of it or for another dress. In fact, it cost her dearly because, um, as I understand it, there was a, an incident uh, with her son, and her son ended up having, I can't remember if it was a foot or a leg or something, amputated because she wouldn't go to the closest care. She insisted on finding a free clinic to take him to. And so it ended up costing him his... Uh, his leg. In the end, her son ended up dying because of a lack of care that she easily could have afforded. She ended up dying earlier because of a lack of care that she also easily could have afforded. And so when you look at it, it's just a real tragedy, her clinging to money like that and leaving it all behind and suffering the way that she did for apparently no real good reason. Now, the reason I bring that up is because that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is doing with the Ephesians. He's concerned about that same kind of thing happening to them. She was sitting on all these riches, all this wealth, but did not recognize it or did not use it to her own benefit. And the Apostle Paul is writing to these Ephesians, these believers in Christ, and he's concerned that though they're sitting on the richness of God's grace, in fact, if you remember from last week, we focused on that a little bit, that word riches, that riches of God's grace that was available to them, but he's concerned that they not... Use it. In fact, when you get a little bit farther into this chapter, in chapter 1, verses 15, I think, and following, 
He starts to kind of analyze the people a little bit. He says he, that he heard about the strong faith that they had. He heard about the love that they had. And the Apostle Paul often does that. He often measures people in churches by three categories. Faith, hope, and love. So you can see him in a lot of his epistles where he'll say, you're strong in these two, but let me encourage you in this one. Or, and that's what he's doing right here. A little bit later in this chapter, verse 15 and forward, he says, look, you're strong in love. You're strong in, in faith. Let me help you to understand the tremendous hope that you have in Christ. You see, as believers, they had such a rich hope in Christ, such a glorious future in Christ. But if they don't get their minds around it, if they're not able to understand that, then it's not going to impact their life the way that it should. And so that's really what he's talking about through this longest sentence in the Bible, is he's just trying to help these people understand all that they have in Christ so that they can experience it to the fullest. And it's the same thing that he wants for us today. It's only as we understand the tremendous hope that we have in Christ that we do two things. One is we recognize the blessing that God has upon us and we in turn turn around and bless God. Notice that's the word that's used repeatedly in these two verses. He starts off verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word blessed comes from the word that we get our word eulogy from. So if you think of like going to a funeral, if somebody stands up and gives a eulogy, it means they stand up and they speak well of the person. They bless that person. They, they kind of praise that person. Um, for the contributions in their life and for the memories. and and Well, that's what that word means. It means to speak well of. But then notice as we go through, he uses the word a couple more times, and it is the same word in the original all three times. It's the same word. It says, "...who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." And so in that one verse, he uses the word blessed three times, but it's used two different ways. It's not unlike our language. We have the same word used in so many different ways. I think of, of the trunk. You know, when, what, do I, what do you think of when I say trunk? You might think of an old uh, piece of furniture that holds old quilts and things like that that you have in your house. Or you might think of the trunk on your car or the trunk on your tree, uh, trunk of a tree. Or There's just so many different ways to use one word. Well, that's what's happening here as well. The first use of the word is to use the word to speak well of. To, to bless them. The, the, blessed be the God and Father. They're speaking well of God. They're praising God. They're extolling God. But the reason for the blessing that they're blessing God, or the Apostle Paul is, is because of the blessing that God has bestowed on the people. But, but that blessing is not to speak well of. He's not talking about speaking well of them. He's talking about blessing in a way that is that you prosper somebody or you benefit somebody. If I want to be a blessing to you, I want to, I want to benefit you in some way. And, and that's the sense that the last two uses of that same word are used. And that's what he's trying to do here. He starts off by praising God because it's just the natural, the natural inclination when you understand all the blessings, the benefits that we have from Christ in our life. When you understand that blessing, it just results in praise as we bless the name of God. Well, as we go through this passage, the main thing that he's trying to get through to them is to recognize those blessings that they have in Christ. And because if they're going to live for Him, if they're going to have a successful, a vibrant Christian life, they're going to need to rely on those blessings. And that's the same with us. If we're going to be uh, fruitful 
in our spiritual life, in our walk with Christ, we're going to need to understand the blessings that we have at our disposal through Him. And so that's what we're considering here today. We're considering this idea of relying on God's blessing. Well, as we consider this idea of relying on God's blessing, there's three effects of God's blessing that we can see right within these two verses. We find that verse 4 often, in a different way, drives home the same point that verse 3 does. So we're going to kind of notice that as we go through there as well. So the three effects of God's blessing is, first of all, significance. Significance. And that's what, if you look at the greater context of what's going on, it reinforces this. But he is showing them what significance they have in Christ. That they were chosen before the foundation of the world by God. That they are now in this position, and you know that's something that's very important to us, their position before God and in this world is now in Christ. Uh, he keeps using this word, or this phrase. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Even as He chose us, and again, in Him. Speaking of Christ, so same phrase again, in Christ, in Him. And that's what He's doing. Is He's driving home to these people that, look, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now in Christ. You're in Him. And you know what? That's exactly where we get our significance. Everybody has a, a need to feel significant. We have a need to feel valued in our lives. We want to feel valued by our families. And we want to feel valued by our by someone special, our spouses. We want to feel valued children by their parents and parents by their children. I still have memories of this day where I heard my parents say some little phrase or once a statement that made me feel valued as a child. Everybody longs for significance. The significance that we find in the world and those things, they don't pay. They don't, they're not satisfying. But you know what, as we look through this passage, we're going to notice that the place where we get to experience our significance is in the realms of the spiritual. You know, the spiritual is so much more important than the carnal. That's where really, as we're going to find out as we go on a little bit, where our battles lie and where our victories are the most important and where we feel the most significant. Well, as we look at this, this whole passage is about God telling these people, you're significant to me. I adopted you. I chose you. Not only before you were born. I chose you before the whole world existed. I chose you. You know, human beings, we experience significance, if we get a good grip on it, in a few different ways. One is, we experience significance because we're made in the image of God. The Bible tells us even back in the Old Testament, just after the flood, that human life was to be protected with a capital punishment because that human life was taken carelessly and it was made in the image of God. So we have a dignity to human life because it bears the image of God. Even up into the New Testament, James would write to the people and he would say, look, how you treat people needs to be based on the fact that they're made in the image of God. And so we need to treat people with respect because they're made in the image of God. So we have significance as human beings. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. It doesn't surprise me that more and more of the crimes that we see and more and more of the lowering of the value of the human life is because as a nation we're getting away from that idea that we bear the image of God. So there's value. There's intrinsic value. But we also experience significance because 
of the price that God was willing to pay for our redemption. And he talks about that a little bit later in this passage. But Jesus Christ, God was willing to send His own Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ultimate price and lay down His life for us so that we could be saved. He was willing to pay that high of a price for our redemption. And so there's significance there. But then there's another significance that he points to within this passage. And God is saying, look, before the foundations of the world, I chose you. And I adopted you. And I made you mine. And that's where we experience that significance. Well, not only do we need to recognize that we have our significance, but we also, it's very important that we recognize why we have this significance. This significance is not because I'm better at one thing or another than somebody else. It's not because of anything that I've contributed along the way. The significance that I have is completely because of my position in Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage is over and over through the book of Ephesians continues to point to that, that this is what we have in Christ. Why can I experience significance in my life? Because I'm in Christ. It comes from Him. And Jesus pointed that out, that that's really the only place to get significance. I think of John chapter 14 and verse 6 where He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. I also think of the Apostles pointing it out in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and then the apostle Paul would also remind Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus I was nothing until God made me his but he did that before the foundation of the world. And He did that in Christ. Well, not only do we have significance, but we also have, because of that, we have security. It says, who has blessed us. Notice this past tense. And then down a little bit farther, it says, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. This is something that took place in the past. This is something that is just it's just set that we what we have in Christ we're secure in that we're we're solid in that this is something that was determined in fact we'll get we'll get on farther when we move farther down into the passage but there's so many times where God says look this is me carrying out my will this is according to my purpose this is this is I work everything to the counsel of my will and so God is making it very clear that this is secure and he says this was accomplished before the foundation of the world. And this, we're not looking forward to Christ's blessings. We already have these blessings that he's talking about. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice that. It, it looks at us as already being seated in the heavenly places. And we'll see what that means a little bit more here. Uh, shortly. But it, we're as good as already there. We're already... Christ was, was raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father, seated in, heaven, in the heavenly places. And He says we are seated there, past tense, already seated there with Him. And so this is, this is secure. You know, that's important. We, we've known for a long time that our security goes all the way back to when we're little children. 
Where do they get that sense of security? They get that sense of security from their family. They get that sense of security from their parents, from their grandparents. They get that sense of security knowing that they belong somewhere, knowing that they fit somewhere. And that's exactly what God has provided for us. He says, look, I have chose you since before the foundation of the world. You, you're as good as already sitting there. This is where you belong. In fact, as we go on through the book of Ephesians, he's going to tell the Gentile believers, he's going to say, look, at one time, before the mystery of the church was unveiled, at one time you were strangers, you were aliens, you were isolated from the covenant people of God. But he says, now you're one with them. Now we're bringing them together in this thing, this new thing called the church. And so you see, that's exactly what we have in Christ. We have a sense of belonging. That now we've been, again, in Christ, but we've been made accepted in the Beloved. We know where we fit. Kids, even when they're growing up in a home, they kind of try to find the pecking order and stuff like that. Why? Because they know they need to know where they fit to feel secure. I remember one of my kids, he, could, he, he would go along doing just great. And then all of a sudden, it was like he had to tip everything over. <laughs> every little rule, every boundary had to get pushed. Every, until you reined him in. And when you reined him in, then, he, then it was like he was secure again. All of a sudden, he, he knew that the, okay, the boundaries are still in place. I still know where the edges of the wor- my world lie, so to speak. Well, we have that in Christ. As we know that we're His. We know that we belong. That we are accepted. Not Again, not because of anything that we did, but because of the grace of God, which is oft-repeated theme through this section. But because of the richness of God's grace, we are accepted in Christ. And that provides us tremendous security as we experience that before Him. Well, lastly, the third effect of God's blessing is sufficiency. Sufficiency. In other words, notice this kind of builds, right? Because there's the significance that we find in Christ as we identify ourselves in Him. And then that significance then kind of relates to security because in that feeling of acceptance, we feel secure in our relationship with God and secure in our life and in this world because of what we have in Christ. And then lastly, our sufficiency is in Him as well. Because as we notice in the, in the passage here, verse 3, it says, "...who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." And that's what we want to get our minds around. What does that mean, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? Um, I think we got some insight into that in, the, in this book. Secondly, um, if you look at verse 4, it says, even as He chose us. And so, um, this is the blessing. What is the blessing that He's talking about? Even as He chose us. God choosing us. And, but there's a, an outcome of that blessing. What does that blessing lead to as we experience the significance and we experience the security? What does it lead to? That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You see, there has a, it has a final result, and that result is that if we lean on the blessings of God in our life, and we lean on Him, find in Him our source of significance and security, then it leads to a sufficiency on our part to be able to live out our lives for Christ. Now, why do I say that? 
Well, in the passage, it talks about the spiritual blessings. What are those spiritual blessings in the heavenly places? Well, the spiritual blessings are anything that the Holy Spirit gives to you, because that word in the, in the Greek language is always used in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so it's anything that the Holy Spirit gives to you, whether it be through gifts or things like that, anything that He does within you uh, to benefit your life as you walk through Christ in this spiritual, um, in this spiritual relationship. And again, it's past tense, because notice it looks, it says, He has already given you all those spiritual blessings. You have them. You just have to use them. You just have to step out in faith and live for Christ, recognizing the blessings of God. It's kind of like in James chapter 1 and verse 17. James says, every good and every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so James recognizes that every good gift that we have comes from the Father. The Apostle Paul is doing the same thing. He says, look, every, every spiritual blessing that we need to be able to make us holy and blameless in love, we have that. God gives that to us. It's a spiritual blessing that He gives us. He makes us sufficient in Christ. Now, there's a little phrase, in the heavenly places, it is only found in the book of Ephesians. And it's used in the book of Ephesians several times. It's used in the passage right here. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, "...so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." Notice he starts talking about these, these rulers and authorities that are in the heavenly places. And this mystery thing that used to not be revealed, but it's revealed now, the church... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to rulers and authorities in these heavenly places. So what is that talking about? It's talking about the spiritual realm. It's not just uh, heaven. It's talking about heaven included, but also the spiritual realm that we, we live in a physical realm, but a spiritual realm right here as well. Now, that will become more clear by the time we get to the end of the, these different verse places where this phrase is used. Also, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, it says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? What He's talking about is He's saying, I want you to be able to understand these awesome things that you have in Christ. What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So he talks about Christ being seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. But then he applies that to us in chapter 2, verse 6, we already looked at, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then when we get toward the end of the book, in chapter 6, in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So you see these heavenly places that he's talking about, it's going to include heaven where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, where our identity is seated, where we are seated there with Christ because we're raised up with Him. But then also, it's the whole spiritual realm where it's not just the brightness of the throne of God, but it's the darkness, this present darkness, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers, 
in these spiritual dimensions. You see, the point is, God has given us spiritual blessings so we can have within us, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the person of Jesus Christ, because of the blessings of God the Father, so all three members of the Trinity involved, where we get to experience the sufficiency to be able to stand strong in our faith. In fact, that's what if you continue to read in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells them to put on the whole armor of God so that they'll be able to stand. And what are the things that he tells them to do? They're spiritual blessings. Because he tells them that they're going to put on the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and, and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and having our feet shod with the gospel of peace. And so they're the gospel, their truth, their faith, their, their salvation. You see, these are all spiritual blessings. These are all spiritual things. How are you going to overcome sin in your life? How are you going to overcome temptations? Through spiritual blessings. You see, the spiritual things and parts of our life are so much more valuable than the tangible, than the physical. If you're really going to feel satisfied in this life, it's only going to be because you found your satisfaction in Jesus Christ through spiritual blessings that He pours out into our life. But again, we have to constantly remember it's the grace of God. It's not our own. It's kind of like, do you remember when we were talking about David a while back? And we talked about how David, how David specifically when he went up against Goliath, uh, David was a type of Christ. And we talked about how many times when we look at that story with David going against Goliath and we think about overcoming the giants in our life and that kind of stuff, and we just kind of step back and we realize that that's maybe not the primary point of the story. Actually, if you look at the story, David's brothers and all the armies of Israel are shaking on top of the mountain as Goliath comes out to challenge them. And you know what Israel really needs? They need a Savior. And David was that person. Dealing with the giants in our life is not just a self-help book. In fact, it's not even close to that. It's that Christ has already overcome the giants in our life. Christ did it for us. We We don't need Him just to strengthen us so that we can go after it. We need Him to do it for us. And it's only through recognizing that He has already overcome those giants in my life that I have the hope and I have the confidence, I have the sufficiency to stand. Because you see, then we do learn that secondary lesson from David. That he stepped out in faith. Was he stronger than his brothers? No, quite the opposite. He was left at home to tend the sheep while the older brothers went to fight the battles. David was the least among his family by his own statement. But he stood up in faith, and because he stood in faith, he was sufficient in Christ to take out Goliath. It's only when we recognize that Christ has done it for us that we can experience it in Him. It's only when we recognize that Christ died for our sins that we can die for our sins. It's only when we realize that Christ has risen, has resurrected and overcome our struggles, that we recognize that we have what is needed in Christ to overcome our struggles. And so both elements are kind of involved there. We have as, as what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You see, Peter says we have everything that we need. God has given us all that we need through our knowledge of Him. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing with us here in the book to Ephesians. 
is he's saying, look, you have what you need within the blessings, the spiritual blessings that God has given you in the heavenly realms. You can win those victories. You have what you need because of my blessings in your life. So as we consider what we have in Christ, what do we have? We have significance in Christ. We have security in Christ. And we also have sufficiency in Christ.